there, all you true crime fans. We have a new podcast to recommend for you. It's True Crime in the 50, a podcast that takes a look at serial killers, murders, and disappearances and frauds that rocked each and every state across the country. Every two weeks, host Katie Accardo brings you the craziest crime from each state, starting with Alabama. She covers it all, from more well-known criminals like Illinois' Drew Peterson and Arizona's Jody Arias, to lesser-known crimes like Hawaii's Missing Women, Diane Suzuki and Lisa Au, and the Quadruple Mansion murders in Maryland. Or tune in to hear about the true crime epidemic of Montana's Indigenous women. If you like fraud cases, she's got those too. Listen to Iowa's huge hot lotto scammer Eddie Tipton or Florida's famous Miss Cleo and the Psychic Readers Network. True Crime in the 50 has something for everyone. So take a road trip across this country and check out the True Crime in 50 podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, queens, are you ready to level up? Then join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy where you can find weekly bonus content and FDS commentary on all the latest pop culture, relationship, and dating news. If you just want to listen to the extra bonus content, we have the Lurker Mode tier on our Patreon. If you want merchandise, access to the private FDS Patreon Discord, which also includes a monthly book club with FDS and feminist-themed books, as well as FDS merchandise, t-shirts, mugs, and the opportunity to discuss topics with the FDS Podcast Queens live as well as submit stories for our Rose Disco Queen and Gnosis discussions on the podcast itself. So if you'd like access to all this and more, visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. What's up, queens? Welcome to the female dating strategy podcast, the meanest female only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. And I'm Savannah. And I'm Lilith. And today... We are going to be talking about a much requested topic, how to resolve conflict with other women. And I actually want to say, in terms of terminology, this episode is actually going to be about overcoming conflicts with women not resolving, okay? This is not a sit down with your bully and talk about your feelings type of episode, okay? This is about how to set up social situations in such a way that you will come out on top. So there's this problem under patriarchy where women are encouraged to be cooperative with men and competitive with women. And in my view, if we want to defeat the patriarchy, we need to do the opposite. We need to cooperate with other women whenever possible and be less cooperative with men. And I got the idea for this episode when I was, it was just offline. I was talking with Ro and Elle for the political strategy podcast. Ro, do you want to like plug our political strategy podcast real quick yes every monday new episodes (laughs) female political strategy it's basically the same ethos of fds about ruthless female self-interest from a broader perspective so we get to talk about a lot of the subjects that are outside of sex and dating that affect women on that podcast so highly recommend you check it out yeah so while we were in the you know war room for female political strategy, Miro and Al, we were talking about how do we build alliances with women? How do we sow discord between men so that women can rise and defeat the patriarchy and so on? And so as I was talking about these strategies, Ro was like, "You know what this really reminds me of? This reminds me of Robert Greene's forty eight Laws of Power." and I hadn't I had at that time I had not read it. I actually still haven't read it. I just looked at the wiki summary. It's very long. It is. Yeah. It's pretty good. But and there's also there's also laws and tactics that contradict each other. So it's really it's really interesting as a concept, but hard to apply. 
Yeah. And I have to say, like, I read just the laws and like a brief summary of each one. And to be honest, I was actually pretty disappointed because it really did not match up with my own personal experience. Like as I'm reading this, I'm thinking this might work if a man was using it on a man or if a man was using it on a woman. But I find in my personal experience, um, I mean, first of all, a lot of these the strategies in the 48 laws of power are coercive or abusive. And if a man ever treated me like that, I'd probably run for the hills. If a woman treated me like that, <laughs> doubly so, right? And I, I just find in my personal experience in work and in school um, that women tend to have a very negative reaction to other women who use these sorts of coercive and abusive strategies. The unfortunate thing, the sad thing is that a lot of women, if a man was using these strategies on them, they'd be like a total pick me for him, but uh, they don't. Uh, respond the same way when another woman uses it. Well, it's it's a lot of like dark triad stuff, right? Yeah. I don't necessarily think everyone responds positively. In fact, if you read a lot of the comments to the book, it's, it's I mean, it's a sociopath manual. I kind of looked at it as a means to understand the types of political machinations that people do to gain power, right? It, it helps you understand why people do certain things, but it's really hard to pull off if you're not yourself a narcissist or a sociopath. True. So I feel like a lot of people who criticize the book criticize it for that reason, where it's like, man, this is actually horrifying that there are people out there like that. But it's like, you, you might as well know the devil's playbook, right? I actually appreciate it for that, but... True. That's a good point. But I do feel like this, because we talked about like the red flag books, I kind of feel like that's somewhat of a red flag book, if, at least a yellow flag. If a man's read it. <laughs> yeah. Not if he's read it. But if he likes it. But like the guys that, yeah, the guys that like aspire to that, like that basically treat it like it's their Bible, mm. run from those guys. It's, yeah. it's a fuckboy manual and they, they aspire to unnatural levels of... Uh, control and power yeah and you also don't need to resort to levels of like sociopathy to get the respect and power that you want as well Mm -hmm. as this episode will explain in more detail exactly so i that's actually such a good point because i feel like 48 laws of power it's very good for understanding when people are trying to have one over on you so like understanding your shitty sociopathic boss understanding uh you know shitty sociopathic political pick me's and so on right um, it can be useful in that area, but like, I, for me personally, yeah, it is really hard to pull these off if you have a conscience. And unfortunately, I do have a conscience, so kind of have to work with what you've got. Or it's just a lot of energy if it's not second nature to you, right? Like with narcissists and sociopaths, it's second nature for them to be like that versus a person who's not socialized that way. It becomes an effort. It's it like, takes yeah. more brain power. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, man, fuck this. Like, I don't want to do it that bad. And that's why the psychopaths always win. Yeah. So <laughs> here's the thing, though. With this episode, my hope is that we're going to talk about how to deal with women who are like that right? Because I find with men, there's a there's one way to deal with it. But with women, I have a I think it plays out a little bit differently, like, uh, you know, female social hierarchies and so on. But in my personal experience, I find that anytime I've ever tried to be sort of like bossy, so to speak, around other women, uh, they tend to see me as a threat. And that just makes me a lot of enemies and, and ends up backfiring massively. So I think with women, if we if women as a collective want to gain power, like as a class of people, like as a sex class, we need to use a different set of strategies than what is outlined in the 48 laws of power. So yeah, it's not fair. But you know, if you want to win, you got to learn to play the game. I just want to have a few caveats before I get into like the meat of this episode, which is that to be honest, I actually don't experience a ton of conflict with women, because whenever possible, I try to prevent it from happening in the first place. And that's actually one of the core messages of this episode is it is very difficult to fix a relationship once 
once you've made a bad impression with someone, like first impressions matter, it can be difficult to patch things up once you've gotten off on the wrong foot. And so as I go through my five main strategies, it's going to progress from prevention to more and more active conflict. The ones earlier in the list are going to give you more bang for your buck, so to speak, and the ones later are like uh, may have limited application. The first step before we get into the five strategies, I want to say it is important to identify the problem if you're in a conflict with another woman. When you're having conflicts with people in general, whether it's with a man or a woman, it's important to have strategic empathy. And by strategic empathy, I mean understanding the motivations of the other person in a conflict. I find often when people get in fights with others, they just sort of demonize the other person, go like, oh, they're just like catty bitches who hate me for no reason. Although that can happen, like there are women who are like that. I find in most cases, conflicts between women can be usually like either circumstantial or because of there's some kind of power struggle. There's four common scenarios I wrote down that I've personally experienced a lot of, which is like a power struggle, like queen bee versus queen bee. Scenario two is higher status woman or multiple higher status women. And by higher status, I mean like they're either older than you, more powerful, or they've been working there longer, bullying one woman because she's either like a rising star and they see her as a threat or they just think she's like easy to pick on and so they all kind of like gang up on her um the third scenario is ankle biter so like lower status person who's jealous undermining wants to like they get a sort of like sadistic sort of pleasure from like taking down you know a person who's more successful than them jesus free us all from all of these people because it's just such a waste of your energy i mean i know i'm not to interrupt but I hear what you're saying and I've experienced all of these things. And then I'm like, at some point you have to just think about how much of your life are you wasting doing this? (laughs) But people, I guess, I guess there's office politics and people get sucked into it, but I hope to God. And and this is why I kind of love the work from home thing is like, you just don't have to give a fuck about that. That's why I I partially never want to go back to an office if I can avoid it. (laughs) Yeah. But you just don't have to deal with this shit. Like I, you know, but go ahead. Sorry, Loth, my little rant. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'll just say my fourth point and then respond to what you said. So fourth scenario that I find really common is where this happens to me a lot, actually, sadly, where I think someone is my friend or my ally, but it turns out she's actually been secretly undermining me behind my back. And that's always sad when that happens, because it can be really hard to detect. Um, but we'll get into how I've managed to, you know, resolve that. Um, but in terms of like office politics, I got to say before the pandemic, I hate to admit this, but I was actually really good at office politics. Like, so that's one of the things I kind of miss. <laughs> that's one of the things I kind of miss before the pandemic. It's like, God damn it. I can't like, it does make it harder to network though. I'd also just like to add as well. There's a, there's another like common scenario to a conflict with other women that, that I've encountered. And that's just a general misunderstanding. And how you handle that can be the difference between it just remaining a misunderstanding that you get over or just becoming absolutely nuclear. I mean, I personally haven't really been on the receiving end of the other four that Lilith set out. I mean, and like when I was, I just got myself out of that situation. And when I see that person, I just, not going to lie, I do like to flex. I'll tell the story later on, but I do flex that (laughs) I won in the end. Sorry. It's hard because some industries are like some I- industries are like that period. So it's some industries you, you can jump out of the frying pan into the fire because it's just 
the the culture pretty much everywhere. It's really hard. With regards to Savannah's point about the misunderstanding, that's actually why it's so important to understand strategic empathy or to have strategic empathy. Because, you know, if you have a misunderstanding with someone and you immediately go like, oh, she's just like a catty bitch who hates me for no reason kind of thing. Uh, it can really blind you to other options to resolve the conflict. That's actually one of the few situations where it can be easy to resolve a conflict after the conflict's already happened or while it's happening. Because if you just like talk it out and like, oh, I thought you meant this when you said this and like come to some kind of a common understanding often like i've had situations actually where we'll have a misunderstanding we talk it out and then we actually become friends after that so yeah that's like the one scenario i think it is possible to solve it after the fact anyway so on to i want to present my five laws of female power these are the five strategies that i've used in my life that have been beneficial to me and that have really served me well over the course of my lifetime so rule number one rule number one is find your tribe and that's because with women there is strength in numbers we don't have the physical strength or the socialization that men have had where they can just like dominate situations. Your strength as a woman, your power as a woman is found with other women, generally speaking. And so whenever possible, try to make alliances instead of enemies. And the reason why it's important is because the more supporters you have, the more likely other people will support you in the event that you do find yourself in a conflict. You know, don't sneer at like, oh, like it's just a popularity contest or, you know, oh, I don't, I don't do popularity contests, that kind of stuff. Like popularity does matter unfortunately. Yeah, you can never escape it. That's like the black pill of of life is that you can't often escape popularity contests. Yeah, I don't even see it as a black pill. I mean, like... Although, I will caveat, though, that being popular, and this is, this is well known at UK universities, it's also known as being really bait, as in like B-A-I-T. I don't pronounce my T's, so, but I say bait, but it's bait. Bait. Okay. You're British. <laughs> oh, who's who's mispronouncing words now? <laughs> Joel Offrice. I mean, <laughs> um, so there's this and like being bait can actually really work against you in my personal experience. So it's one thing being popular, but what is bait? What does that mean? Oh, being bait basically means that you're well known and popular, basically. But in my experience that the people who were like the baitest people, they were popular for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And I noticed this firsthand. I remember when I was in, in, in college, I went for election. I wanted to run for an elected student, like leadership position. And at the time I was quite unknown. Um, and I only had like three friends who came to support me on election day. It was really sweet of them. And I was up against a girl. She knew everyone in the room, like absolutely everyone. And so we both gave our speeches. I think there was about maybe a hundred people in the room and like 90 of the delegates voted for me. So I won by a massive landslide. Wow. Nice. Yeah. I think it was like literally only, it, I mean, she voted for herself, but it literally must have been only her campaign team who voted for her. All her friends, like, snaked her completely. But then when I spoke to her friends afterwards, they were like, yeah, I know her really well, but I knew she'd be crap for the job. Damn. So sometimes actually being, like, not being well known, especially in places like the workplace or if you ever run for office, that can actually work in your favour because people won't judge you on what they know of you. They'll judge you on what you say and how you present yourself. That's true. So that's just a caveat there, that sometimes being popular isn't always the strategy. What you want to be is you want to be known as being competent. And sometimes the most competent people are not necessarily the most popular people, depending on the situation that you're in. And that's why I've heard from multiple people that job hopping 
is actually a lot of times the better option than trying to work your way up to a company, not just for the pay raise, but because of the perception, right? Like everybody, the new shiny person is always more competent than the existing person that they have, <laughs> even if that's not even close to being true. It's just a perception thing. Yeah, exactly. And if you if you job hop and you've been promoted in that organization, you're instantly seen as someone who is valuable from the get-go, whereas that might have diminished in your or that sense of appreciation and that sense of value from your old company might have like diminished over time as well. What you're describing is uh, sounds like a different strategy. There was one strategy in the 48 Laws of Power where he's like, oh, be mysterious, you know, don't overshare, you know, conceal your intentions, I think was another one. Having less information about you out there is good. What I'm talking about with popularity is I mean, like there, and there are people who are like popular or who are well known, but aren't necessarily like a queen bee. Like, um, you know, being popular and being a queen bee are not necessarily the same thing. At least at my high school, for example, like there was this clique of like underachieving blonde women who mostly got pregnant at 16 or 17. And they were, this is a crowd that like thought that they were popular. And there was like maybe 20 of them and they'd like go to each other's parties every weekend and stuff. But like they thought that they were popular, but like everyone else in our high school hated them. Like the actual popular kids were like the overachieving. I had like three cliques that I hung out with. It was like the theater kids, the sporty kids, and the like nerdy kids. And so, yeah, it's possible to be well known and for people to like you, but it doesn't necessarily, I don't know how to say that. Like the people who think that they're popular are not always the people who are the most well liked, let's just say. Um, But anyways, my point being that um, the other thing about like strength in numbers or find your tribe is that it's also a preemptive defense against smear campaigns. So often like a narcissistic or sociopathic person will try to attack you by damaging your reputation. And if you already have a good reputation, that's like a sort of like herd immunity. It makes it much harder for that seed of smearing, that smearing seed, so to speak, to grow. Um, Like there have been times where um, I'll be like in an office, for example, and like, I'm generally like well liked. And then someone who's like my work rival or whatever, tries to like talk shit about me. And then they'll accidentally say it to someone who's actually one of my supporters. And then the, my supporter will be like, Oh, that's not true. And then they'll come back and tell me like, Hey, so and so was saying this about you kind of thing, right? <laughs> office politics. <laughs> that's an example of office politics working in my favor that's the other thing is like if a lot of people like you they will report back to you and tell you when other people are talking shit about you so that's also useful anyways that's a side side bit but anyways um my lesson here is like if you're entering a new workplace or a social situation be kind and friendly to other women be helpful but not a people pleaser i find a lot of people do this thing where they try to like curry favor by just doing other people's work for them or by just being too like giving too much of themselves a better strategy is to just support other women. An example, I was in a meeting once where there was this woman trying to make a point and this guy kept talking over her and I just cut him off and it was like, Samantha didn't finish her point. Can you let her finish? And then me and her, we kind of looked at each other and had this look like, nice, look of understanding, you know? Um, and then she went on to defend me in other situations going forward. So yeah, that's an example of like kind of being on code and standing up for other women and they'll stand up for you if you stand up for them kind of thing. When you're joining a new social situation, be assertive, but don't try to one up or put down other women. That's another thing I see a lot, especially if they're hyper competent and they really want other people to know how amazing they are. They'll just maybe talk too excessively about their ac- accomplishments and other women start to like see them as a threat. Don't downplay your achievements either, but like, you know, don't try to like one up people or like put other people down, you know? Basically what I'm saying is like try to establish like a quid pro quo kind of relationship with other women where it's like you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And if they don't reciprocate, hold back. Don't do this thing. Like some men will do this thing where like they'll do 
a favor for you and then expect something in return and like use that as an excuse to like try to demand something from you. I don't do that. If I do a favor for someone and they don't reciprocate, I just don't do any more favors for them. I won't try to like force a favor out of them, you know, like that's just kind of weird and it will make you more enemies than friends. The other thing, <clears throat> here's here's actually the important lesson is if you're currently in a social milieu or a workplace where you're being bullied or mistreated, leave. Period. Uh, find find a community where you are loved and where you are accepted. Even if you're kind of like a, a bit of a misfit or something and you don't fit in with other women generally, like find a group of other misfits that you can hang out with. Okay. It's really not worth it. And I wish I could just like go back and tell young me about all the times I was like fighting for my space. And, th- and this is like partially also a conversation about micro like racial microaggressions as well. It can be very, very difficult for people of color or people who are non-traditional, you know, candidates, especially for management, like trying to fight your way up in that system. So you feel, you feel like you're on uh, the defensive all the time and you feel like, well, every place sucks and I have to just like always fight for my space. Cause it does feel like that. And I can say that for myself, that's been true in some places, but there are better places than others. And sometimes it's just better to fight your way off that team, fight your way off that, you know, that situation. But it, it's, um, it's an uphill battle. It's an uphill battle. And I would say like, if you are a person like that, who's like a quote, non-traditional candidate, make sure you indulge in a lot of self-care and like balance between your ambitions and taking care of yourself because you will run yourself ragged trying to fit into a mold of that's not really made for you if that makes sense. And this, and this goes for just about anybody who's, I think, even female in general, but doubly so for non-traditional female candidates. If you're disabled, if you're a person of color, if you're a person in the, uh, who's LGBTQ, like these things can affect the way you see yourself. And so, you know, indulge in a lot of self-care and really, if it gets like bad, then just leave. Yeah. And definitely if you're in a workplace, it can be hard to avoid if you're like a minority, for example. So in that case, I would say make sure that on your own personal time that you are spending time with people who love and who accept you. If you can't get that from your workplace, that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you should be doing that normally, but you know. Yeah, because you spend a lot of time at work. So as much, and this is why, I mean, overwhelmingly people, um, a lot of people said they like to work at home, especially people of color, is because they don't have to deal with a lot of those daily microaggressions, which are hard to... They're very, they're like, you know, little paper cuts all the time. And they're really hard to quantify to people, like how much it can be exhausting. But um, at the same time, you know, there are, there are better workplaces than others. And if you are just legit stressed out, like I, I would make the argument that it's not worth the fight anymore. Like you can probably do a lot better for yourself to just move to another job and try to get even better pay. Yeah. Just abandon ship. Like go for work for a company that isn't racist, basically. Yeah. Or a team, or at least, you know, it's not racist. It's, it can be it's just not worth your mental energy. Let me put it that way. And especially like in like the capitalist hellscape that we live in, these companies will try and make out like this is the best you can do is working for them. And it's absolutely not true. And I, and like sometimes I think if I think back to my first job in retail, I think that some of the animosity that came from the female managers stemmed from the fact that I wasn't gonna be around in retail for very long or is like they had been in the same position for 30 years I'm not gonna be like oh they're so jealous of me but I remember one of them said to me oh if we fired you tomorrow I doubt you'd get another job in this town and about six months later I got a better job with a much better company um 
And they were all really shocked. That's an example of a coercive strategy that they use. So yeah, when I go back into that shop in my hometown, I do like to flex. So yeah, that was just her way of just trying to keep me in a box. And it was complete bullshit because I managed to find a much better job with a company who actually valued me while she's still stuck in her position. I just wanted to chime in and say that, or just to wrap up this point about building your tribe, there is a corresponding law in Robert Greene's Law of Power. uh, That would be Law 18, which is do not build fortresses to protect yourself. Isolation is dangerous. And I really, really, really want to emphasize to women that if you are a woman, being isolated is dangerous. An isolated woman is like a little baby buffalo without its herd. She's extremely vulnerable to predators. It's really unfortunate. And I find this, again, with hyper-competent women tend to do this a lot where, you know, if you don't really get along with other people or other people are just being stupid or whatever, it's too easy to fall into this trap of trying to be a lone wolf and trying to go at it on your own. That is a losing strategy. Always try to find supporters. Well, damn, Lilith, call out my whole life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's also really sad when women, you know, say things like, I just don't get on that well with other women. And it's like... Try to get along better with other women. It's also true. And also, women are the best protectors, honestly. Like, the people that have come through the most for me when I've really needed it, as in gone above and beyond to help me out, have always been women. Always. Also, it's just crazy as fuck when people say, I don't get along with other women. Like, really? There's like, what, six, seven billion people on this planet, 3.5 billion of which are female, and you don't get along with any of them? That's a you. Yeah. (laughs) That's just weird. I actually get along with most women. You don't get along with every woman. Like, of course not. But like, just be like, as categorically, I don't get along with women. That's crazy. Here's, that's actually, we're going to talk about red flags of toxic women. That's uh, one of them. If if they say, I don't get along with women, that's a massive fucking red flag. But yeah, we'll get get into that later in the episode. But yeah, so my my point being that even if you are amazing and hyper-competent and talented, and I mean, first of all, like, Doing all the work yourself is just like, you're going to just waste a bunch of time. It's it's so much better to try to, what's that saying? Like, uh, many hands makes a task lighter or something like that. Many hands make light work. Many hands makes light work. Exactly. So even if you are really strong and amazing, you know, going at it alone is much, much harder than uh, trying to share the burden of life with other women. That's my strategy. Anyways. So number two, if you meet a woman more powerful than you, and she's a generally good person, pledge allegiance to the queen. I'm not kidding. You can avoid a lot of conflicts with other women who are more powerful or who are more established than you by just simply being loyal to her. I mean, I've said in other episodes like, oh yeah, I like to be in control. I like to have power. This is one of limited circumstances where I'm I feel safe giving up power. Like if I meet another woman who is more established than me, but she's like a a good person, she's got like this nice like maternal energy. And especially if she has skills that you want to learn or that you can benefit from, try to see if she'll take you under her wing. That's such an underrated strategy with women because I feel like men more naturally know how to do this. And a lot of it has to do with the way they're social socialized around athletics. One of the reasons why I actually like to watch sports is because you can kind of see the way that men politically organize themselves. And if like if you're a role player, you're a role player at that at that point and you're not the star player on the team. And you have to learn how to recognize when you're that and not try to play hero ball. Exactly. <laughs> so some women, I feel like a lot of women, because we maybe don't have the same, I don't know. I mean, there, there are obviously a lot of female athletes, but the way that women socialize tends to be like flat organization, more or less, unless you're doing like a toxic queen bee hierarchy that sometimes creating a benevolent hierarchy or a hierarchy that's effective can feel very like 
very antagonistic and a lot of women have like negative reactions to having female leaders. And also female leaders can be kind of like horrible to their their underlings too because they haven't figured out how to create a benevolent or effective hierarchy. But like if you're if you watch sports, that's all sports are. Besides these like freak athletes or like freak, you know, um physical gifts, it's also organizing people based on their personality and their individual unique skills and then people who are not the LeBron Jameses of the world need to know when to sit the fuck down. And that's a really hard thing to learn. But if these grown men can do it, like women can do it too. Yeah. I mean, part of the problem is that there are so few female, I wouldn't actually know, I'm not going to say there's few female leaders, but there, there is a problem in a lot of workplaces, especially male dominated workplaces where the women who are leaders tend to be massive, massive pick and throw women under the bus. And they, they, they see themselves as like, oh, there's only room for one woman at the table. And that's going to be me. And I'm going to cut all you other bitches down kind of thing. Right. And so we're going to get to that type of woman later in the episode. That's not the type of woman I'm talking about here. I'm talking about, you know, I want to talk about an example of a woman who has been a mentor to me for many years, Maureen from HR. She listens to the podcast, by the way. So shout out to Maureen from HR. She's a director of HR at a company that I worked for when I got my first leadership role. What had happened is like, she's a magnificent woman, okay? She has this like maternal energy. When she speaks, people listen, even men. Like we would be in meetings and like if a man was talking, she would just interrupt him and start talking over him. Or um, like men didn't dare interrupt her right? And I remember just like looking at her and being like, wow, like, I want to be just like Maureen. She is dope. Um, Yeah, so I, you know, ended up sort of like, you know, just being like, oh, like, you know, I'm new here, like, you want to be my mentor kind of thing. And so like, and she was so happy to like, take me under her wing. And she actually helped me get a promotion. Like, so it can pay off like it, it really can. It's a it's one of those things of like a future investment thing where like, if you invest in pledging your loyalty to her and being one of her minions kind of thing, she'll lift you up. It's like a rising tide lifts all boats kind of situation. Um, but yeah, like like the first scenario, try to establish a quid pro quo, you know, make her look good. She will raise you up. The, the corresponding Robert Greenlaw here is uh, r- law number one, never outshine the master. Um, I I mean, it's not an exact one-to-one comparison. It's a little bit different, but yeah, basically like, don't try to, I've noticed this problem where like some women, they'll enter a workplace and there's a woman who's better than her and they're like, I must destroy her. That's a bad reflex. You know, it's better if you find a woman who's better than you and she's a generally decent person, instead of being like, I need to take her down or I need to be the queen, shift your mindset to, I want to learn from her and I want to and I want her protection kind of thing. You know what I mean? And it can also be like, it doesn't always have to be like a queen-servant relationship. It can also be like a lateral um, relationship as well. I've been quite fortunate to have, for most of my career, only worked in all female teams, which I would 100% recommend. Um, if you can get into a team that is just like full of women, ambitious uh, women, there's just nothing like it. But anyway. All female workplaces are always bomb. I've never worked in an all-female workplace that sucks. Granted, I know I've heard some horror stories from nurses, but like generally, apart from retail, retail might be a bit dodgy. But I think that might be be more because of the retail environment as opposed to the actual women, possibly. Yeah, I find like an all-female environment is much better. But I find like a mixed sex that's when it kind of gets dicey because a lot of women, even women who are generally nice and like good people, are not malicious. A lot of women do unfortunately still have that female socialization. 
of trying to pander to men and yeah the pick me but the workplace pick me yeah exactly like some women you know even if they're not a horrible person some women will still like throw other women under the i know some people will be like if she throws under the women under the bus, she's a horrible person. But like, even then I'll try to, I try to give women the benefit of the doubt. I'm much less forgiving with men, but even with women who make mistakes or who do things I don't agree with, I try to be as like, again, strategic empathy. Yeah. I just wanted to rant real quick because I've been on both sides of this coin where either I'm the more powerful woman and there's a woman who's like, I want to destroy you or um, where I'm the less powerful woman. So when I'm the less powerful woman and I see a woman as a good leader, yeah, I pledge allegiance to the queen. And it's unfortunate um, when I'm in a leadership position and I have a female subordinate who is like, oh, I have to destroy you or like just constantly trying to like undermine me. I just want to rant about those kinds of women because I want to say that is a losing fucking mentality. Okay, if you look at a woman who is better than you and you think I want to destroy her, you are a loser and you will always be a loser. Okay, like so if you see a woman who's better than you, you're much better off. It is a much more winning strategy to try to emulate her to try to be on her team and reap the benefits of that relationship. Yeah, I agree. And also, just to add another perspective as well, it's also knowing what you bring to the table. Just because uh, you are her subordinate in the organisational structure, that doesn't mean that you can't teach her things as well. So an example I can think of is when I was working on a project relating to race equality. It's like a company that I worked for and my line manager was white. And she would often defer to me for insights into racial issues, into how to word things and that particular exchange it deepened our relationship because it also made me realize that like hey I've got something unique to add it also meant that she trusted me more as well because she knew that I had a skill set that she didn't have just because somebody is higher up in the organization to you especially if you're a younger person a lot of senior managers they start to lose perspective on different things especially if it's relating to young people or if it's relating to people from a different racial background so you don't have to act like a peasant as well to to get people to like you you can also know your own value and your own experiences and own perspectives because that is also really really valuable to people that you work with even if they're senior managers you can also tap into your own skills and see how you can be of benefit to them so it can also be a lateral relationship as well as giving them the respect of you know someone who's senior and who can teach you things That's actually such a good point. And in fact, I'd say this is a good vetting strategy to identify good leaders because good leaders know to have people on their team who have a variety of skill sets, including skill sets that they might not have. And so yeah, like, that's what I mean about quid pro quo. It's not like you're being a servant and being a peasant. It's like you're actually adding value to her life. And when you do that, she will add value to your life. Yeah, exactly. And if they get funny about you knowing more than them, that's a red flag. Exactly. So we'll get to toxic female leaders and in rule number four, yeah, because the strategy for if a woman is more powerful you and toxic, it is a completely different strategy, but we'll get there. Hey, queens, you know, here at the Female Dating Strategy, we're all about taking care of our sexual health and the all important necessity of getting regularly tested for STDs. 51% of people don't get tested because they don't want to bring up sex or STDs in discussions with their healthcare providers. Thanks to our sponsor, Let's Get Checked, you're covered. Let's Get Checked is an at-home testing company, which is easy and confidential to take an STD test from the comfort of your own home without the awkwardness or unease of visiting a clinic or a healthcare professional. So here's how Let's Get Checked works. You simply go to their site, order a sexual health testing kit, and it arrives at your door in a small, discreet package. 
From there you do a small finger prick and send the sample back to their lab with their prepaid shipping label. And in two to five days, you'll get your results and a Let's Get Checked nurse will be available to discuss your results with you if you'd like their feedback. So navigate to letsgetchecked.com and enter your order and enter the code strategy exclamation point. That's letsgetchecked.com with code strategy exclamation point for 30% off. So thanks so much for our sponsors. Let's Get Checked and back to the show. Rule number three is influence other women by leading from example. Now, again, in my personal experience, I find women tend to respond very negatively when other women are being bossy, you know, quote unquote bossy. We were talking to Elle and Elle was talking about how, you know, often when she enters a workplace environment, sometimes she'll have conflicts with other women because Elle, you know, she's very, she's a very strong woman. She, she, you know, she's, I, I, I like, I like these qualities in her. I like how she, you know, takes charge. That's something I admire. But some women will look at that and see that as a threat, basically. Even in cases where I have like a, a female subordinate, I try really hard not to be too like authoritarian or like, uh, you know, commanding or bossy. I rely much more on social contagion. And I've actually had really great success by it's basically leading from example, right? So the behavior that you want to see in your female subordinates, you have to be that, right? And then the if you are, are what other people, you know, admire, then they'll just naturally want to follow you, you know, no coercion, no threatening anything needed. The thing with uh, management, though, is so often people get promoted based on the fact that they're good at one position, but they're not necessarily good as management at management. And that's why you get so many people who are in management who nobody really admires. Everyone like hates working for their tyrants, they're condescending. And then they, you know, they start to react negatively to everyone. So just just putting my two cents in. I mean, again, that's a toxic leader. So I, I, I'm of the view that leadership is a skill just like any other. And some people might be better at it than others. Like some people might just be naturally more suited to the, you know, the specific skills that good leaders tend to have. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible for people who might not be as naturally gifted to learn them. It's the same as learning an instrument, right? Like anyone can learn how to play piano, right? Like even if you're not naturally good at learning piano, you can still learn how to play piano. Yes, there will be some people who are just star piano players and they go on to become, you know, famous. But that doesn't mean that like, you know, if you're not naturally gifted, it's impossible to learn. And I think le- these kinds of leadership skills, more women need to learn these kinds of positive leadership skills. I think that would serve you in not just your workplace, but also in your friendships and your family and and so on. I was going to say, I think a good like leadership strategy is... Um... And one that I found like really, really good success with is Primus Inter Pare, which is first among equals. It's how the British government should operate, but we know they're a hot mess. But yeah, that's the concept of the British government is that the prime minister is the first among equals. And that means everybody, you know, feels like they are part of the team and that their contribution is valid. I think the traditional leadership structure of I'm the boss and you're the servant is quickly becoming redundant, especially as people begin to see or especially as people begin to expect their workplace to provide basic things such as a sense of well-being and sense of community so i would definitely recommend looking into that in, into that style of leadership in fact that's the only that is to me the only good style of i mean there's other maybe there's other styles of leadership that are fun but that's my favorite but to wrap up point three like i know it's like cliched but like be the change you want to see in the world lead by example lead by social contagion which by the way women are more susceptible i find to social contagion than men just in general so 
that's a pro tip. But yeah, to wrap that up, like basically, don't be a tyrant. A good queen knows to grant favors to her supporters, let's just say. Um, so rule number four, and this is about toxic women. Okay, rule number four is all about toxic women. So it is stay friendly, but distant from toxic women. And by toxic, I mean competitive, jealous, they get you wrapped up in their drama, or on the extreme end, some are just straight up like narcissists and sociopaths. The problem with narcissists and sociopaths and psychopaths and so on is that they lack a conscience and they will do things and they will go to places so low that any normal person, like they will go to places that you can't even think of or that you don't want to go, right? Here's the problem. It's like you cannot win against them unless you yourself also lack a conscience. Um, and even then, it's high risk, very low reward. What's the saying that uh, never try to fight with sociopaths because they'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience? No, that's a stu- that's stupid people. Like, yeah, don't argue with... I mean, that's it's same similar principle. Like, stu- don't argue with stupid people. They'll drag you down to the level and beat you with experience. Same thing with sociopaths. It's like, unless you yourself are also a sociopath. And even then, I find the most explosive conflicts tend to be with the most collateral damage tend to be between two sociopaths or two narcissists. And those I generally avoid because again, like the harm vastly, 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 vastly outweighs the reward. The other problem with these types of toxic people is like the closer you get to them, the more in danger you are of being their target. With narcissists, especially like my strategy dealing with narcissists is to remain an audience member. Narcissists, they care a lot about their image. And so you know, a lot of women who've been subjected to narcissistic abuse, they point out that, you know, why is he so much nicer to people in public? And then behind closed doors, he treats me like shit. That's because narcissists are very concerned with public image. They want the rest of the world to have a very high opinion of them, but their victim is someone that they can offload all of their abuse and all their mistreatment onto, right? So if in the workplace, for example, or in like a social situation, try to stay an audience member. That is the best way to get a narcissist to treat you well, unfortunately. Okay. So maybe discussion about that a little bit further. So let's say you just have, because I, for whatever reason, sometimes I trigger the fuck out of these people, <laughs> probably because I say things. Yeah. You know, y'all know how I am. Um, but like- <laughs> I find these people target me. No, because I'm a very compassionate person deep down, honestly. I think narcissists prey on me and and always have like my whole life like they're just drawn to me as like a target and use emotional manipulation on me and until i found fds i would fall for that shit every fucking time yeah <laughs> okay so I, yeah real, sorry go ahead bro no no i mean it, it's a discussion because i've had the opposite problem where well i had a similar problem where it just i have no like i just don't know what it is about me that sets some of these people off but then it's just like a massive like constant over focus on everything i'm doing and i'm like and it could be jealousy see probably because they see you as a threat that's the thing i don't want to sound like i'm trying to flex but a lot of times you're just like minding your business right and then what do you do with people like that because it's it's lit- like i had i had a, a crazy coworker like told people i was stealing from her what at one point i was new on the job like and not to mention beyond fucking racist and then I'm like first of all i don't know why i would steal like like shit off of your desk or whatever it was so it was really dumb I don't know. I ended up just leaving that job because my my manager was clueless at the time. I was like, okay, like we're supposed to work together. And like, he's just a clueless dude. He just does not see any type of female microaggression. And she had him all the way wrapped around his finger. And then I met his wife and I figured out, yeah, like this dude's clueless. I mean, narcissists will do that sort of like that. What 
the whole accusing you of stealing, I, I consider that like an extension of the smear campaign that they do. And narcissists generally will use that against someone that they perceive as a threat. So I'm not sure what you what you did before that or like, you know, even if you're minding your own business, it's like sometimes if you get off on the wrong foot with a narcissist and they're like, they can just sense like, oh, she has too much power. I have to take her down kind of thing. She hated ev- like all of the rest of the coworkers too. Like, I don't know, for some reason, like she got everyone outside of our department to like her, but everyone all of the people who worked with her directly hated her. So it was really weird where like the people outside of the department thought we were bullying her and then people in the department. No, but that's the thing. Narcissists are very good at manipulating social situations like that. And that's what I mean. Like the closer that you are to a narcissist, the worse you are. True. It's true. So all the people within your team who had to work with her closely, they all knew what she was actually like. They all saw the dark side of her. Yeah. But narcissists do this weird like performance and dance so that outsiders looking in it was it was to the point where she bought herself a birthday she didn't tell anybody it was her birthday and then she bought herself a birthday cake and then invite anybody in our department but then only invited people outside the department like because she was like we we were bullying her it was the craziest shit i've ever seen like this is a grown adult person I mean, that's another bully tactic is like, and Lundy, Lundy talks about this in his book, how uh, people with like an abusive mentality are very good at reversing aggressor and victim. And so they'll try to make themselves seem like the victim, they'll attack someone. And then if the other person fights back, that's when they go, Oh, my gosh, like, why are you attacking me and like play the victim? So that sounds like at least that's what you're saying there kind of echoes that that's what happened. I left that job. Thank God. But yeah, (laughs) that's the thing. If you're in a workplace where a narcissist is ruling the roost or a sociopath is ruling the roost, get the fuck out of there. Okay, you cannot win. The closer you get to them, the more you will lose. The more you succeed, the more they'll try to tear you down. The only way in their mind to the only way to avoid their wrath is by just like not threatening them or just like, you know, keeping your head down. But then you're not going to advance your career. So that's why it's not worth to be around them. Facts. Um, But here's the thing, like, it can be really hard to detect narcissists, sociopaths and other toxic people other than like the usual like say no and then but here's the thing the the usual if I'm dating someone and I say no or I have a boundary and the other person gets angry about that the problem is if you use that in the workplace you have say no or have a boundary that's when you've made an enemy of the narcissist right so I find like in my personal experience at least the best way or the best red flag of a sociopath narcissist or other toxic person without getting on their bad side is the Cartman drama triangle now in the show notes I'm going to link a video that does a really good job explaining the Cartman drama triangle, uh, because I could do a whole episode just on that. Is this South Park? I'm dying. No, 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 no. No, this is different. Oh. (laughs) No, no, no. So Cartman drama triangle, it's like, it's a triangle. So there's three participants. There's the aggressor, the victim, and the rescuer, or the, the villain, the victim, and the rescuer. So very often, if I'm entering a new social situation, I'll have a woman approach me and she'll give me some kind of sob story about how someone else in the office is bullying her. You know, she'll she'll try to rope me into her drama, basically, and try to get me to be her rescuer. Or um, in other cases, they'll like, this is worse, actually, is they'll label you the aggressor, even if you haven't done anything, and themselves the victim and try to get other people to gang up on you and have other people be the rescuer don't get caught up in other people's drama. Like this is a red fucking flag. If a woman approaches you and tries to get you involved in some kind of like drama triangle where there's one person who's the villain, like they're trying to villainize someone and you don't even know who they are, or, you know, trying to make a victim out of someone who's kind of shitty, or they're trying to get you to be their rescuer, anything like that fucking run. That is like, that's when I, when someone tries to do that, that's when I put up a wall between them (laughs) and just be friendly, but distant because yeah, like the, the danger in that is that, the drama triangle has constantly shifting roles. And so I find a lot of women will get caught up in the sob story and they'll be, and they'll, you know, 
it's how toxic people often make allies and so they'll try to get you to do their dirty work basically where like they they have a conflict with someone else and they try to get someone else to gang up on the other person right the reason why it's dangerous is that the roles are constantly shifting and so even if you come in as a rescuer and you think that you're being the good guy she will not hesitate to make a villain out of you if it suits her so avoid people like that who try to get you caught up in these kinds of drama triangles Now, okay, so I want to talk about like the limited circumstances where it may be worth it to engage in a conflict with these sorts of women. One, uh, political pick-me's. So, you know, I don't want to like, I don't know if I want to name names, but, you know, there are certain women in, uh, in politics who gain considerable influence and power by throwing women under the bus and advancing male interests, where they basically, it's like a, a female face for like a male agenda. An example actually would be like the female family court judges in the Lundy Bancroft episode. A lot of women like that will rise to the highest echelons of power by serving male interests. That's one situation where it can be worth it to basically form a, an alliance of other women who also hate her to take her down because the, the harm that she's doing is so high that it is it may be worth it to take down someone who's really powerful and oppressive like that. But it's hard. It can be done, but it's hard. Um, I want to talk about the three main weaknesses of this type of woman, the type of woman who gains power and influence from men by tearing down other women, also known as like the, you know, queen bee, like office tyrant. That's another example, actually. Um, So they have three weaknesses that I've identified. One, her success is usually dependent on giving men sexual access. And it's kind of unfortunate. And like, um, I think it's actually very unfortunate that men gatekeep positions of power on the basis of like, women sucking their dick or whatever, you know, like Harvey Weinstein. Yo, (laughs) I'm trying to think how I could tell this story without too many identifying details. But yes, I had a similar situation where a woman on a team rose to the ranks seemingly overnight. And we found out later it was because of sexual favors to a very uh, influential man on said team. And um, she was straight up she was a political operator, like a straight up narcissist, like exactly the type of people we're talking about. Like when we say a fake kind of girl boss, that is very microaggressive to all the other women in the office. So like the way she was started in on this was like doing little things to antagonize women or sow discord between the powerful men in the office and the other women. And then she swooped in with the sex. It was fucked up, but yeah, but it was successful for her, but it was I mean, it was a short-lived project. Yeah, but go ahead. I'll go into why that's a weakness, actually. I mean, it's a, it's one of the, it's a short-term strategy. Like, short-term, she might be able to get a few promotions out of that. The reason why it's a weakness is because as soon as she ages out of being fuckable, and if she has no other redeeming qualities, she loses her power. Um, So I'll give you an example, actually, of a manager that I had. She, it, it was like basically like the female equivalent of like the Peter Principle. You know, like the Peter Principle, where a man like gets promoted to the level of incompetence and like can't get promoted any further than that because um, they're not actually that good at their job. There's like a f- sort of like a female equivalent of it. I don't know if we want to call it like the Patricia, the Patricia Principle, where <laughs> not her real name, by the way. But basically, this particular manager, she had basically gotten to the the manager that the ma- even though she was like bad at her job and not a good leader, she'd gotten this managerial role basically because yeah, she was, you know, had previously been sleeping with the CEO. Um, but she basically like aged out of being fuckable. And so I found it really like cringy and painful, you know, seeing her like interact with the CEO and being like, <laughs> Brian, you're so funny kind of thing. And him just sort of being like, Ugh, like, 
uh, you know, get away from me kind of thing. Like he's trying to, it's like, oh, it was cringy. Anyways, but this particular woman, she'd reached, she'd like peaked. Um, and to be fair, like she actually was still quite attractive, but she was 40. And so like, again, men, male sexual depravity. Basically this woman, she, she did this thing where she would just like bully any women who were like rising stars or who she saw as like competition. She would like just believe women who are like either like more pretty or more successful or more talented or, you know, anyone that she saw as like a potential rising star, potential threat. So she, uh, and I was one of those, <laughs> I was one of those women that she bullied. So, um, I'm not, I'm not bitter about that at all still. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the pro like the reason why this is a weakness again is because once she's no longer of like sexual use to the men who, you know, to her male patrons, so to speak, that's when she loses her power second weakness of these types of women is that other women usually hate her and will jump at any opportunity to join forces with you to take her down. Um, and though that was actually pretty much what I did in this case is like, um, actually, let me get to weakness three, because we, we used all three strategies. So um, weakness number three is that her power comes from men who tend to only support women when they serve their interests. And as soon as that woman is no longer useful to them, they'll, she, again, she loses her protection. What was weakness two? So the first, I thought weakness one was the sleeping around thing. Yeah. So weakness one is sleeping around. Actually, I just want to sidebar. I think it's unfair how any successful woman, men often accuse them, oh, she's like slept her way to the top. Not all successful women sleep their way to the top. I just want to be very clear about that. But there are some women. Most don't. Most don't. But there are some cases of women who are you know, not very good at their jobs, but who do get promotions on the basis of granting men sexual access. But anyway, so yeah, just to recap, weakness one, her power is dependent on sexual access. Weakness two is other women usually hate her and will jump at any opportunity to join forces with other women to take her down. And three, her power comes from men. And these sorts of men, they tend to only support women on the condition that she is serving their interests. So for example, like she's like a female uh, face for like a male agenda. Um, but as soon as they, these men decide that she's more of a liability than an asset, they will withdraw support. And so that was basically how in this particular office, um, she ended up, she, she didn't get fired, but she was pretty much like pressured to resign and left that job basically because me and all the other women that she w was bullying, we just sort of like we formed our own little clique to, I feel bad admitting this, but we, yeah, we basically like joined forces and uh, started undermining her. And then the men at the top basically was like, ugh, like we're going to get a lawsuit if, if uh, we keep letting this woman be a manager. Yeah. She ended up leaving. So, um, but again, like limited circumstances where you can take down one, some of these kinds of women. And if you do decide to go that route, understand the weaknesses of these kinds of like political pick -me's. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got it. Cool. Um, yeah. And so my final point, rule number five is exclude women who betray you or other women. Now this is the meanest one of all the five, <laughs> but hear me out, hear me out. I know that the word to exclude is like a dirty word. You know, I've often been told like, oh, you know, you're excluding people like that's girl bullying. In fact, in high school, there was all these like anti-bullying campaigns. And one of the points I remember was like, oh, boys tend to like bully others like physically by beating each other up and girls tend to bully others by excluding them. I think it's delusional when people say like, oh, everything, people have to be inclusive because even the most inclusive organizations aren't inclusive of everybody. Like everybody excludes something. The The issue is, is that it used to be based on really arbitrary mean factors like race, sexual orientation, things like that, that are not bullyable things. They're just a, a variation of human experience. But like if it's based on behavior, 
Fuck them. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the reason why I'm bitter about this is because in high school, there were times where there was a girl who was either being mean to me or just rude or just like unsociable and like not fun to be around was just a vibe kill. And I just didn't want to hang out with her. Other people didn't want to hang out with her. And there were times where like school admins would like sit down and be, oh, I hear you're bullying people um, by excluding so-and-so. And I'm like, I'm not doing fucking shit. I'm just hanging out with my tribe. You know, I don't like being forced to include people that I don't like. You know, and it's I, I know that it's seen as a dirty word or it's seen as girl bullying or whatever, but I want to be very clear as women, you are allowed to have boundaries and you are under no obligation to create space for people who treat you badly. And the other thing is when you include these sorts of toxic people, you're actually excluding good people because good people want to leave situations where there are toxic people. It's true. True. And these boundaries, you know, we often talk about that you need to vet people or vet, for example, men in particular on FDS, but this also applies to women as well. It's completely okay to vet women and to build your circle based on particular qualities and essentially values that you want your friends to have. And that's not a bad thing as well. You don't have to entertain people who aren't engaging with you in good faith, regardless of if they're a man or a woman. And sometimes I'll even go as far as to say some women, especially when it comes to relationships with other women, they could probably do with being a bit more ruthless as well in that regard. Because the impact that your friends or the people that you keep around you has on your development and well-being is immense. And ultimately, especially if we are, <laughs> if everyone's in this whole take down the patriarchy thing together, you really, really want people who are, you know, 100% backing you in this. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is like, understand that if you're a high value woman, it should be exclusive. Like there should be some element of exclusivity for people to have access to your time and your attention. I have this problem with like, patriarchy often defines a good woman, quote unquote, good woman as like someone who's endlessly self-sacrificial and always giving everything of herself to other people and so on. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's really self-destructive most of the time. It is okay to gatekeep which people have access to you. And in fact, like if you're a really high quality person, you should gatekeep, <laughs> okay? Not everyone's entitled to your time. Um, yeah, so my problem with my my one problem with excluding and the same thing with cliques, like, you know, I, I feel like exclusion and cliques are two things that women tend to like complain about with other women. I think they get kind of a bad rap, mainly because my problem with cliques, for example, is that they tend to exclude or punish women who don't deserve it a lot of the time. And the cliques tend to remain small in number, like it's just a small group of people you know small group of like maybe three four five women who are like excluding another woman and so my, my the way that i want to fix this is like first of all like excluding people on the basis of like i don't know yeah like race like rosette or like um or just like i mean it can just even be some people like to have an aesthetic right i mean that's basically the sorority thing yeah <laughs> like, true. it's just it's class it's race it's um gatekeeping cultural types of things it's just that a lot of this is often very shallow based on nothing and yes they bully people for not conforming to for no reason yeah or for not a good reason yeah for like for basically no reason like and and it's just toxic and it doesn't help anybody it doesn't help you grow it doesn't help you be a better person it doesn't help your community be better like and by any stretch of the imagination and then you end up list like i feel like humanity as a whole loses out on quality advancements and quality people because people get 
bullied for no reason, right? You like, if you're a very competent person, very smart person, but you're disabled, so then people don't want to hire you, like you could be missing out on like a, you know, a Stephen Hawking level genius or something like that. There's just a lot of times where people start to take people's aesthetics or their outsides. Stephen Hawking's a scrub, but like they're outsides and they don't focus on literally the insides. Like what are your values? I think it's, I think, and as God is my witness, especially with FDS, like we've tried so hard to really be like diverse in the way that we talk about a lot of different issues, but even like economically diverse, racially diverse, et cetera. But like the values are the things that should bring you together. I want to say, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I want to say like my ultimate dream with cliques is that to create a clique that includes literally every woman on the planet. That's my dream. That's the idealism. But unfortunately, that's not always possible. Like not all women are allies to the female cause. Next best thing that I'm willing to settle for is like create a large clique. That, that's the other problem with cliques is a small group, right? But there's strength in numbers. My next best goal, realistic goal is to try to create a clique that includes all of the like based queens you know, FDS minded or, you know, female advancement minded women, I think we'll become a political force to be reckoned with if we ally with each other and not like exclude women on the basis of stupid shit, like, oh, I just don't like your face or, you know, you're not rich or, uh, you know, your race that I'm racist against or shit like that, right? Like, we should be, yeah, like, like Rose said, like, we need to be including competent people, include people who forward our cause of female advancement. But I do think that excluding women who betray you and other women is very important. Because first of all, unfortunately, there's just some women where no matter what you do, it's just not possible or even worth it to win them to your side. I do try to win people to my side as much as possible, but it's not always possible or even worth it. So excluding women who betray you or other women, first of all, like, you know, protects you. So there's like the self-preservation aspect. Secondly, it sends a message of like, I think that uh, social exclusion is actually a very powerful consequence for people who'd like transgress the community. So if you're in a community and there's someone who's like, who's just taking advantage of others, who's not contributing, who's undermining others, who's just being like a shitty person, I think casting them out of your community is a perfectly rational thing. And I hope that other people look to that and go like, oh, like, I don't want to be like that guy. So I should like contribute and not be a fucking freeloader or not be a fucking traitor. And even if you can't kick them out of the community, because sometimes that's not always possible, but you can personally distance yourself. And for me personally, even if I distance myself from somebody, especially if it's a woman, I still see all women as my kinfolk and I'll still on a wider level still argue for her rights and her autonomy even if we disagree vehemently on certain issues and on things like politics or whatever but that's on a wider scale but in terms of like my own interactions I will just like limit my own personal interactions with them while still advocating for them. Sort of related to this is uh, self-exclusion actually in some situations can also work to your benefit so for and I do this in I do this in social situations more than I want to admit. Basically, where and, and this relates to rule one, like find your tribe. So if you're in a social group where you're having a conflict with someone, and the people in the group like you more than the person that you're fighting with, one way that you can come out on top is self exclusion. So um, like, oh, there's an event. I ask my friend, oh, is so and so going to be at that event? And they say, yes, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, sorry, I'm not going to come then kind of thing. And then if they don't like that person that much, or if they like you more, the other guy or the other woman is like the reason why, actually, most of the time I use this against a man, if they like me more than they like the other person, and I leave because of that person, and it's known that I've left because of that person, that group of people will turn on each other like a pack of hyenas. It's really entertaining when that happens. But yeah, so that's another example of like self-exclusion. Or like, you know, another example would be like, at a, at a work. this happened again also, where I was in a workplace where... 
I was being bullied. And when I eventually quit, the my manager, the person who was bullying me, uh, got fired like eight weeks later. Isn't that always the way? Every time I've left a toxic work environment, it literally implodes. It's so validating when the time you're like, am I crazy or are they crazy? And it takes a couple of like circumstances for me to realize, oh, no, 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 it's them. I mean, what? Ha- especially if the other person is like your manager uh, in the workplace, this is a very another sign of bad leadership is uh, some managers, if they feel that their subordinate is a threat to them, they'll try to undermine them and put them down to the point where that person, if that person leaves, it's like, it's just stupid to bully your top performer, right? Like it just makes it's bad leadership, right? If you're a good manager, you'll want to guide that person, try to, you want to keep them on your team if they're a top performer and not otherwise like unproblematic, right? I find some toxic people just like, they're just small-minded. So they just think about like them versus like you as a threat. They don't think about the greater community. And that kind of sucks when that happens. But yeah, if you leave that kind of environment and in a way where it makes them look bad and you make it known, that's the other thing is like, I made it very well known that I was leaving because of this specific person. <laughs> so that ended up, of course, their numbers dropped that month. Duh. Because like, if you're the, the top salesperson on that team, obviously, you know, your numbers are not going to be as good if you're <laughs> like, I was actually twice as good as the second best salesperson in this particular environment. The sales targets, like a very large chunk of that was just my work alone. And so when I leave, like, obviously, they're not going to meet their targets, right? So um yeah, so self-exclusion, that's another, if, if you're in a situation where like you can't come out on top and you're valuable, just leave and then let the other people suffer the wrath of your absence. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to say? No, I think that's really good. I mean, that's really, really what FDS is all about, creating practical strategies and ways forward. Yeah, thank you. Well, in conclusion, basically, I want to create like almost like a, a feudal system of queens. <laughs> lay out your manifesto (laughs) this is my manifesto i want to take over the world with fds queendom and the way we'll do that is by all the other queens influencing other women in a positive way using non-toxic strategies and that's how we're going to take over the world basically is through these five points so um yeah thanks for listening queens thanks for listening queens and please check out our website at femdatstrat as well as our instagram at underscore the female dating strategy and our patreon patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy for weekly bonus content thanks for listening queens and for all you politically operative pick me's out there your reign of terror shall soon be ended. Your reign of terror is coming to an end. Do, 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 do. Yay. <laughs> See y'all next week. Bye.